He's an American humorist, a journalist, an actor, a correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning, the host and creator of My Grandmother's Ravioli on the Cooking Channel, and also, as if that wasn't enough, the host of Henry Ford's Innovation Nation on CBS. You might know him, though, from I Love the 70s and I Love the 80s on VH1, or perhaps more recently, as the host of the podcast Mobituaries with Mo Rocca from CBS News. You are on air with CastBox. Please welcome Mr. Mo Rocca. Damn, I have a lot of jobs. I know, right? It's kind of crazy. What's wrong with me? You must like what you do. I do like – either I like what I do or there's something about myself I don't like because I keep working so hard. (laughs) I think it's probably both. But, Maybe um, you can't say no. You're just like, no, yes, I'll do that. That sounds great. Right. Well, well, that definitely used to be my problem. But I think now that I've hit 50, you know, you have to you have to start saying no a little bit more. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, lo- I love what I do. And I, and, 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 and I don't know that I've ever loved what I, I do as much as I do now because I only do the things that I like doing. Well, we're super glad that you're here. And for those of you perhaps listening to On Air for the first time, I'm Joel Kamm. And I'm Travis Wright, and we're, we're pleased to be here. We are pleased to be here. We are the co-hosts of this podcast, but also of the world-renowned, the infamous, the slightly listened to Bad Crypto Podcast. <laughs> the slightly listened to. that was You are such a ringing endorsement guy. I really love the way that you just over-pump us. That's awesome. And we will be your tour guides for the next hour as we gently glide Mr. Mo Rocca through the the interview process. Uh, he actually is is great at interviewing himself, but we're we're going to put him in the spotlight this time, and we're going to give you the opportunity to call in and ask questions using the Castbox app. So don't call in yet because we're going to ask him a few questions, but get your question on the ready. And once we tell you, then you can call in and we can bring you in and and you could talk to Mo and you could have a conversation. You'll be like, yo, Mo, what do you know? I love callers. I have to tell you, I love callers. Oh, in that case, you guys get ready. Why don't you hit us? um, First of all, we we know from your Wikipedia that your uh, your birth name is Maurice Alberto Rocca. So what is uh, what what are you made up there? What is the uh, the lineage? Well, uh, my father was an Italian-American uh, from Lemonster, Massachusetts. My mother is Colombian from uh, from South America. So, um, you know, I, I've got organized crime on both sides of the family. <laughs> Kidding. Um, the, um, I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. I, I always have someone to turn to. Don't mess with me. Okay. okay. We'll be really friendly. What, what happens if we call you Fredo? That's what I want to know. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Fredo, why doesn't anybody? Why doesn't anybody call anybody Sunny? I mean, Sunny's the one. Well, I guess they they both got whacked, right? But yeah, you know, Sunny died first. Sunny died first. Sunny was a hothead, right? Fredo was a wuss. Yeah, I think so. Although John Cazale, what a great actor, and he has some who played Fredo has some crazy distinction that he was only, I think, in. Five movies. I could be getting this. I could be mangling this completely, but I believe that almost every movie that he was in was nominated for Best Picture. That so he was so he, he either elevated these movies, which is part of it, or he just had really good taste in what movies um, you know to be featured in. But I will say this about James Caan as Sonny Corleone: I've always felt that that performance is the reason that there's. Jewish Italian reciprocity, like that Jews can play Italians and Italians can play Jews. When when James Caan was so convincing as an Italian, and ever since then it's been like, you know, it's been an open exchange. You can, you know, that Al Pacino could play Roy Cohn. I mean, it it goes back and forth. Well, once upon a time in America, James Woods and uh, um, Robert De Niro both played Jewish mobsters. There you go. Exactly. An excellent piece of insight there, Mr. Moraka. Oh, thank you. That's what I do. That's very good. Speaking of acting, one of the things that I wanted to, wanted to talk about is that when you were at Harvard, you served as the president of Harvard's Hasty Pudding Theatricals. Like, that's a pretty prolific, like, old school, like, that was created in the 1700s. Like, 
What was what was that experience like? You know, it was great. It is um, the oldest college theater organization, I think, in the world. And uh, it, it changed recently. It was throughout its history, basically a drag show, like a bunch of guys who would write an original musical. I wrote it. I co-wrote it one year and then would pl- play the roles, both the male and the female roles. And that was because Harvard, I think, you know, it was part of its um, um, pur- Puritan roots that theater was considered evil. So Harvard, which is all male, had to go do theater underground. Um, and so they only had each other, the, the student body for all the roles. But in any case, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think it was maybe more fun to be in than to watch. But um and uh, and then they added they brought women into the cast. I think this is the first year and I'm all for it because I, I think the test is if it's funny, then great. If it works, if if, um, if the performances are funny, that's really for me the only litmus test. And in the old days, it was an easy laugh to see a guy in a dress. And that's not that funny anymore. I mean, like, the, you know, it, it, the, the bar has been raised. So. Mm, right. Well, and now since, you know, there's women and they've had to rename it the not so hasty pudding because women like to take their time, you know, kind of like when they're shopping. So, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mother, I know, always kept us. We used to drive my, my father crazy because I have two brothers and my brothers and I and my father would be in the car waiting for our mother to go out. And my father would grumble and go, oh, we're on Colombian time now. that that sounds weirdly racist but uh, strangely i'm okay with it i you know i don't know what it means (laughs) so you know interestingly enough the first encounter that both travis and i had with you was on your appearance on vh1 for i love the 70s and i love the 80s and uh, before you got here we were talking about you know we saw the show and both you and, and michael ian black um we would see you guys on there we're like who are these guys Right. Uh, you know, where yeah. where did they come from? I, they I don't know. So how did that happen and wh- why did they pick you and, and how did you end up doing such a great job? Well, OK, it's it's uh, you know, it actually is kind of an interesting story. I feel like there's sort of a, a little showbiz lesson in it. It was maybe 1999 or the year 2000. And I got a call to be on this show and I should then I said sure I said I watched so much junkie TV growing up it was originally the first one was I love the 80s and you know I was shut in as a kid I mean I looked like I had skim milk running through my veins I was so thin and had like light blue skin and like and never went outside because I just and I memorized the TV did you say light blue skin yeah like it was like I had skim milk running through my veins like Like you're like an alien or something exactly very much like the boy in the bubble basically Okay. And, and I was always watching TV. I memorized a TV guide when I was nine years old, which is not that big a deal pre-cable, but it was still kind of sick. And I had all this stuff stored up in my head, like, you know, factoids about Webster, Punky Brewster, different strokes, the whole canon of 1980s orphan-centered sitcoms, all that <laughs> stuff. And um, they asked me to be on the show, and I said, sure, I'll do it. And the talent coordinator later told me when the show became a hit, he said, you know, we asked a lot of big names and they were snobs about it and they wouldn't do it. And when the show hit, they all wanted a bunch of these bigger name comics came back and wanted to be on it. And, you know, but the VH1, the producers stuck with sort of the original regulars like Michael Ian Black, myself, Hal Hal Sparks and – Anyway, and um, and the way we we did it was I attacked it like it was studying for midterms or something like I would have them. I would ask them to send to my apartment, you know, um, uh, VHS tapes of of these shows that I was going to be asked about. So I it was like I was taking a bar exam or something. I mean, I studied that hard for it. I mean, it's I'm, I, I should be ashamed to admit that, but I'm not because it was, it was and they'd lock us in a room basically for hours at a time and just ask us questions about these shows. It was like it was like an interrogation, like, so what do you think yeah. about Facts of Life? What, what did you like, George Clooney? Like, oh, yeah, yeah George Clooney. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure like a couple of Geneva conventions were violated. I mean, we were in there so long. <laughs> Can I have some water? No. <laughs> and then, of course, that led to them inviting you back for the 70s show. 
Yeah, we went from the 80s to the 70s. I, I, and then we did the 90s. My favorite was actually the I Love the 70s. It rated the least well. I think because for the audience, it was like, it might as well have been medieval European history. Like the 70s were so long ago for them that they weren't that interested. Um, but that that stuff I had fun with and and uh, I had fun with all of it. The 90s were too recent for me. And also, I didn't watch that much TV in the 90s. And then he's like, they said, would you do I love the 60s? He's like, yeah, man, I was, you know, in my mommy's belly when the Beatles came to America. That was great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There you go. Good stuff. Yeah, this is this, this is interesting. So, so Joel and I've listened to a few of your podcasts with the, the mobituaries. And it's, it's really interesting how you are sort of, you know, giving props to those who maybe have have passed away without much glory. And uh, very interesting premise. So maybe tell us how did how did this come along? And see, we, we, Joel and I were debating. It's like, huh? Somebody made the, made a joke, mobituary, and then he goes, "Yes, I'm going to make that. A, I'm going to make a podcast out of that." You uh, know so how how did that come about? There there is some truth in that. I mean, when you have the name Mo is so useful, it's convertible to so much. Like you know, the Mo you know, vocabulary, which I have on a Saturday morning show called Innovation Nation. But look, I've I've always I've love obituaries because you know and and great obituary writers will always say that a good obituary isn't about someone's death it's about someone's life and on cbs sunday morning i like profiling people telling their stories and uh and you know dead people are kind of great because they don't have publicists so they're a lot easier to deal with you know you don't get a lot of complaints and there's you know there there are a lot of people to choose from and so i thought it would be um a good sort of you know, constantly refillable idea. Um, and, you know, I, th- yes, these are all people that I don't think got their due when they died. Um, some of them are very famous, like Sammy Davis Jr. and Audrey mm-hmm. Hepburn. Some were once wildly famous, like Vaughn Meter, who was a, an impersonator of JFK, whose career died when Kennedy was assassinated. Some never got any obituaries at all, like I did an episode on dead sitcom characers. Um, and uh, um, yeah, what happened to Chuck? Chuck well, Cunningham. So, yeah, the, <laughs> I, asked, I asked Henry Winkler what happened to Richie Cunningham's older brother, Chuck, who after two seasons vaporized, disappeared without any explanation. Um, and basically what happened was, you know, the Fonz became the Fonz became too big a character. So for the Fonz to live, Chuck had to die. And mm. um, and Gary Marshall, the creator of Happy Days, never explained what happened to him. He knew that the audience would simply accept the disappearance of Chuck. And it's tough. Like when Joni and Chachi were married, Mr. C toasted his two children. I mean, he's completely <laughs> forgotten his own oldest mm-hmm. son. He was just a senile old fart by then. That's <laughs> it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. Or maybe he was just disowned. I mean, you know, maybe he was a sexual deviant. I well, don't, we, actually, you know, we don't know. I think it's dribbling the basketball in the house that, you know, you're out of here. I told you not to dribble the basketball it, in the house. It could have been that. Yeah. He, he was always dribbling a basketball. What an interesting idea for a series. Very unique. I mean, it, it, that's something that only one person would really think of and run with. People aren't knocking down the doors to do obituaries on sitcom characters or, or uh, um, Neanderthals. Okay, how did the Neanderthals die? I loved the reference and the interview with the guy who played Chaka because right. <laughs> I was a huge Marshall, Will, and Holly, right? On yeah. a routine expedition. Can you finish the song? Um, at the greatest... Uh, wait, earthquake wait, uh, of them. Yep. Uh, of them all. I, yeah. I, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting. Oh, I'm so it was the greatest earthquake ever known. That's all I remember. Yeah. That's Is that the, Land of the Lost? Is that what you guys are talking about? Yeah. Uh, the, the, nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that kid, the, the guy who played Chaka, was, I, he had been on The Tonight Show. You can find him on YouTube. Um, Philip, gosh, I'm forgetting his last name, but he was on The Tonight Show as a kid. Um, karate chopping Johnny Carson. I think he was a black belt when he was eight years old or something. Um, and they made up his own language. Um, yeah, the Neanderthals died out 40,000 years ago and never got an obituary, but they got a mobituary. So there you go. I'm still scared of Sleestack. Yes, the Sleestacks are really creepy. 
Absolutely. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Mo. How how do you how do you come across the different you know topics that that you want to do an obituary around? Because there's so many different sort of you know interesting topics. How are you how are you picking the ones? Are you doing all this research yourself? Is this no? And it, it, you're not okay. No, and let me listen. This is this is part of turning fifty, I think, and it's these are just topics that I find interesting, and it's the kind of thing where ten years ago I would have beat myself up and said like, oh, I've got to find like a perfect rationale um, for all of these, and ultimately they're just people that and and topics that I'm interested in. I I've worked with two to three producers through this, which is a very small group of people. Um, to work on this. So everyone's worked really, really hard. We do a lot of research into it. We, um, but, um, but they're just things I find interesting. I, you know, I do wait, wait, don't tell me on NPR. And one of the producers on that is a really, really talented guy named Ian Chillag. And he told me something I, he was advising me when I got this started. And he told me something that I think is so wise. And he said, any good podcast idea is just an excuse to talk about anything. And I actually think it's almost profound. Like I think any good creative idea in whatever medium is, it, it, it should be that flexible. It's, it's, it's specific in some ways, obviously with point of view, maybe tonally, but ultimately it, it, it shouldn't be terribly self-limiting. And, you know, so th- th- this, this worked for me because I can put anything in there. Everything dies. So everything can have a obituary. Well, Mo, we're pleased to say that we have – well, we had somebody on the line, and, and I think she dropped when I said, okay, come on in. That's what happened. So here's, here's, <laughs> here's what I want you to do. Yeah, I see Erica again trying. Erica, are you with us? Hello, Erica. Hi, Erica, how are you? Good. Excellent. Do you got a question for Mo? I Yes, Erica is a friend of mine. Erica oh. is in Detroit, and she's a friend. Erica, thank you for calling. What's going on, Erica? I, I want I'm having a little trouble hearing. Oh, I think she's she's just saying hi to you. Well, 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 good. Well, welcome to Castbox. <laughs> right. X, and and, and nice. this is Joel and this is Travis. Meet Erica. Hi, Hello, Erica. Erica. Oh, so glad you called. Thanks so much. We've also got Leah on the phone. And Leah, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm so great to hear you guys and to hear Mo Rocca. I would love to have you just do a podcast reading to us so that I could just hear that every night. But my question is. How long does it take to put together a story specifically from obituaries? Because they're so detailed and so woven. And I always learn something from you that I that I didn't think I would because I thought, I already know about Audrey Hepburn. No? Well, th- I, I really appreciate that. And it's actually an interesting challenge, especially with the really famous people like Audrey Hepburn. Um, it, it takes, Leah, I would say that it takes about three months. And I know and I know that that. that if somebody told me this a year ago that it would take three months, I kind of roll my eyes and I would say, oh, give me a break. What are you, do- what, what are you doing with all that time? It's, it's, a, it's a very different kind of work than I'm used to with television where there's so many people involved. It's a much smaller group of people and it's everything is – it's almost like, I don't, uh, like, like weaving a rug or something. It's very fine, specific work. And, um, and believe me, I'm not an audio snob. I don't think I am, but um, I've learned a ton from this. But yeah, it takes about three. It, I would say it takes like two to three months for each of these. That makes a lot of sense because um, I love the way that you layer the stories as well. So it doesn't seem like it's start to finish. It seems to turn back on itself. And well, then you thank go back you. to the beginning and then there's a middle piece and then we find out, you know, the piece, the resistance at the end. So thank you so much for your work. I've watched everything you do. I'm a fan but I particularly love mobituaries. Oh, thank you, Leah. I really appreciate it. Isn't that, isn't that great to hear when, you know, it's one thing when we podcast, we put our content out there and it just kind of goes in the ether and you know there's people listening, but when you actually hear for how it's impacting somebody, how does that feel? It feels great. You know, I'll tell you, it's interesting, you know, I, 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 
I'm not so famous that I can't ride the subway. I mean, I ride the subway every day. And but, you know, so it's always nice when people come up, you know, a couple times a day and say, oh, I love what you do. And it's very flattering. But when somebody tells you something specific, it's really flattering. I mean, as opposed to just sort of, hey, you're the guy on TV, which is fine. That's friendly. But when somebody says, you know, I, you know, I really love what you what you did with that podcast episode. I can tell how much work went into it. It feels really good. It feels really good. Mr. Travis Wright, are you there, buddy? I'm here. I'm back. back I, I just action. noticed I was looking at Mo's Wikipedia page, and the photo is sorely in need of updating. Oh, it, it's 2002 is the photo. Um, hardly a gray hair. <laughs> oh, and I am all I'm like completely silver at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, mine is not completely silver. It is a a, a nice salt and pepper, a lustrous salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I decided it doesn't matter what color it turns as long as it doesn't turn loose. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm hoping the same for me. It's kind of unfair <laughs> that you're still salt and pepper if you're a few years older than I am. Yes, well, life isn't exactly fair, is it? That is true. <laughs> that is true. My hair is starting to fall out, and he's got his nice – he's got a full head of hair over there. Hey, I, I have a question. So so you did season one, and you did, what, eight eight to ten episodes of season one? Huh, eight. Um, uh-huh. uh, when is season two going to drop? <clears throat> season two starts at the beginning of November, November on November 1st, and uh, will be our first one. I'm not sure which is is going to be the first, but um, I can tell you that one is on a um, um, I'm, I'm going to give a, a few clues here. Um, presidential brother. Beer. Oh, uh, Billy. Yeah, there you go. Billy, yeah. Billy beer. Yeah, you got, exactly. You got it so fast. I'm just going to give it to you. Yeah. So one is on Billy, Billy Carter. And uh, and um, presidential siblings in general, which is a, I'm I'm a big presidential history buff, and I'm really interested in presidential families. And there's this kind of pattern of let's call them unruly presidential brothers. I mean, they from from very early on, and you know, every, I think with a presidential family, normal family dynamics are just magnified. And I remember. You guys, Joel, you definitely will remember. Travis, I don't know how old you are, but you may both remember Billy Carter from growing up. And it was really – I went and I met his widow and his six kids who live in Plains, Georgia, right very near to their uncle, Jimmy Carter. And uh, um, and it was really interesting getting to know the man behind the caricature because I have you know vague recollections as a – seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, this guy who was popping up on talk shows and was, you know, kind of goofy and all that. But his real story is really interesting. Mm, We can't wait to hear that one. We've got a question coming in for you right now from Ariel. The Little Mermaid is calling. Ariel, hey. Hey. Hey, Mo, thank you so much for for being on a long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm going to make that joke every time I call in. All right. Very good. <laughs> um, my favorite episode from season one was um, the Chang and Aang story. Yep. And I'm wondering for you, when you did you have oversight? Did you choose each and every single topic that you did? Or did you have a, like advising on that? Or what was your interest in the Chang and Aang story? So the Chang and Aang story was pitched by one of my uh, of the producers, my friend Gideon Evans, who said, look, I think this is a really really interesting story i think people are interested in you know i don't want to reduce them to being like a physical oddity but right but you know in what it was like for these two conjoined twins they were the reason that the expression siamese twins came about because they were from siam what is now Mm -hmm. thailand and they had a family their descendants have a family reunion every year they actually ended up settling in north carolina so it seemed like a great way to take a story from the past for which there was no audio available because they died in the 1870s um, and bring it to to modern day life with their descendants. And when we went down there and so this was Gideon's idea. And when we went down there, we realized that the story of Chang and Ang in and of itself was kind of amazing. I mean, it's, it's like 
it's like an American story, a classic American story on steroids. Yes. The good and the bad. I mean, they're immigrants. They get, they get. They were forced immigrants. Exactly. They're forced. Well, they're forced immigrants. They're, they're forced immigrants. Um, They win their freedom. Um, They, um, which is amazing in and of itself. They're part of like a burgeoning American entertainment story. Then they become landowners and they marry. So they become family men. But then, and this is the very dark side of the story, they become slave owners. So it's sort of like. I forgot these, about that. Oh, my they, God. It, it becomes all these flashpoints in American life. And, you know, it makes her story certainly really complicated and really interesting. Um, and so but they were they did lead extraordinary lives. And then the, it turned out their descendants through the years have sort of been on their own journey, like. The immediate descendants, they were very close to their kids. They had a lot of kids. They had 21 yeah. kids. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, I know. <gasps> I know. Aang ha- sired 11 kids. Chang sired 10, and they were with sisters. Did they all um, live to that, adulthood? Um, the 21 did. And so there may have what? been more beyond that. But Can I, can I ask a question? Like, yeah, how, how did they have booty time when they're, like, yes, connected at the Very at good the question. <laughs> yeah. well, that's everybody that's was thinking right. of and exactly. only Travis I, would ask. I love the way, way Mo um, talks about this on the podcast. Can I, can I say what I remember, Mo? Go ahead, yeah. He said that one of them kind of just zens out. <laughs> yep. Yep, it was called Alternate Mastery, or at least that's what, what a guy named Yuntae Huang, who was one of their biographers – called it it was basically what they would do is they were initially in the same house and they had like not a cal the, like a california king but with wise i guess so then they decided they needed separate homes and they were a few miles apart and they would spend three days and three nights in one house and then they'd switch and when they were in chang's house chang and Sa- chang and sarah's house i think I, I might get this wrong but chang's house then Aang would go into like a computer sleep mode. He would basically, and his wife wouldn't be there, he would basically go into like a sleepwalk. And so that Chang could really be, have private time with his wife. And then Chang would go into that same sleep mode called, uh, again, alternate mastery when they went over to Aang's house. Um, and so that's, that's basically how they did it and yeah that so the two big questions that everyone has are how did they how did they sire children how did they have sex and then how did they die and the dying part is i don't mean to sound disrespectful it is it is incredibly sad and poignant it's also like a horror movie yeah chang had had a stroke and so ang had to quite literally drag him around for the last two years of their lives the last couple years and then they were at Ang's house, and Chang was feeling cold. So Ang, his the, the the healthy brother, kept getting up and bringing him in front of a fire. And then eventually they went back to bed. And when Ang woke up to his own son coming in and realizing that Chang was dead, and this is the the horror story part is, you know, Ang realized understood that he only had you know anywhere from minutes to a few hours to live. And so his wife and his children kept rubbing his um, legs and feet, I think, to keep the circulation going. But mm-hmm. he's he's attached to his cold, dead brother. And yeah. uh, and and I mean, that's that is just too much to contemplate. But mm. um, but it really it's 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 really a great story. And what's interesting is that their own kids were really devoted to them. But by the time you get to the grandkids, you get into a very Victorian period. Um, I guess, late Victorian period where people don't ever want to talk about sex. So at that point, the descendants, you know, uh, the second generation just never wanted to admit that they were descended from Chang and Ang. And because because it, it immediately made people think of, oh, how did they have sex? Oh, so wow. For generations. No one talked about it. And only in the last few generations have they have the, the family really come to terms and embrace how extraordinary those two men were. Wow. Wow. Fascinating <laughs> story. Ar- Ariel, thanks for the uh, question. Great conversation. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for, thank you for having me.
And uh, y'all are listening to On Air with CastBox uh, with Joel Kamm and Mr. Travis Wright, our special guest today, Mo Rocca of Mobituaries. And, of course, this uh, special feature of LiveCast, the ability for anybody to go live within the CastBox app, is at your fingertips. Whether you've got an existing podcast or not, you can sign up for uh, for CastBox and go to the LiveCast, click the little Go Live button, and you're broadcasting your own show to the world. To the entire world. And yeah. coming up here on future episodes of On Air, who we got, Travis? Well, we have Gary Vaynerchuk that's going to be coming on the show, right? Gary V, the one and only. Uh, we got Justin Long coming up. We have, uh, who else do we have? We got Pat Flynn of the Pat Smart Flynn. Passive Income Podcast and uh, Mr. Lewis Howes of okay, the cool. uh, the School of Greatness. Yeah, I have up. a follow-up. I have a follow-up, Mo. Yeah. So if Chang and Ang were alive today, was there the place where they were co-joined, would that have been separatable? Great today? question. It was basically like outpatient surgery. To, it would be basically outpatient surgery. So they shared a liver. And you can go and see their liver on display at the Mütter Museum in Philadelphia. It's a great medical museum. You can also, um, I think that they may have Napoleon's penis there. That's <laughs> well, because it, 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 it's uh, in my upcoming obituaries book. I, I write about a, um, a bunch of um, famously disembodied body parts, like um, Grover Cleveland. Part of Grover Cleveland's jaw is at um, the Mütter Museum. Um, and, uh, but yeah, they're, they're conjoined liver. So their liver, so they were separated by a, um, a, what ended up being a five and a half inch long band of flesh at their, um, and in the middle of the band was the, the one um, belly button for both of them. Um, I know it's weird, but the weird thing about it is the band of flesh was basically at your um i guess you call it like your xiphoid process like if you take your finger and place it at your sternum and run it down the center of your chest where the bone stops right at the at the top of your abdomen i guess Mm -hmm. that's where the band of flesh was for both of them where it where it emanated from and in the middle of that which is odd because your belly button's much farther down, but in the middle of that was indeed, was their belly button. Um, and I know this sounds really strange, running through that band of flesh was, um, the material was, was basically part of their liver. So they had separate livers, but some of that, I don't know what the, 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 um, the, the adjective is for liver, but anyway, some of that tissue ran through that and joined together. And mm. after it's very, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's obviously terrible, kind of sickening that after they died, doctors, from the, you know, they were in North Carolina, doctors from the Northeast wanted to autopsy them. And the wives said, you can have the bodies, but you must return the bodies intact. Like if you really want to just study them, but you cannot make big incisions in the bodies, you make, t- make tiny incisions in back. And the doctors completely ignored what the wives had asked for. And they basically cut into the bodies, took out several of their uh, um, internal organs. um, And then it's really sick. And then put the bodies basically uh, um, back on a train. And there's a letter that was basically written from one of the sons, like really, of course, upset, indignant at these doctors in, I think it, it may have been in Philadelphia or in Boston, that had basically stolen mm. the internal organs of their fathers. So. Oh my gosh, what a, what a story! Of course, uh, the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the brothers inspired Frida Payne in the '70s to write a song, and uh, they thought "Band of Flesh" might be <laughs> going too far, so instead they called it "Band of Gold." You know, they wanted to. have a greater appeal i want to remind you that if you are listening live on the Castbox app that you can call in and ask mo rocca 
a question. How often do you have the opportunity to do that? Simply tap the phone button in the uh, in the app, either on your iOS device or on your Android device, and you can call in. Now, Mo, you mentioned um, you know keeping Napoleon's penis in a museum. Mm-hmm. I wonder, are you familiar with the Icelandic Phallological Museum? Oh, you know, I I was in Iceland a couple of years ago. And I missed that. Tell me about that. Well, I I was just there a few weeks ago, and I saw the signs for it. I saw the signs. A little, I love the eighties there. Uh, and but I, or maybe that was the nineties. Sorry, I'm I'm out of uh, sync with my decades. And I didn't get to go there either. But it is a museum that has a collection of more than two hundred and eighty penises and penile parts. Um, yeah, the Icelandic. Fallow logical. <laughs> it's Icelandic. That's all you got to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. So I have a question, though, about Napoleon's penis. So, you know, <laughs> well, so, you know you, they, everybody talks about the Napoleon syndrome because he was so short. So was he short in the shorts as well? <laughs> um, it, you, it, it, yes, but very thick. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I have no response to that. I, this has right. become the Chang and Eng penis podcast, and so <laughs> rocking the cast box. Uh, Erica actually typed in a question here, and she said her question is: Will you ever tie Innovation Nation in with the podcast? Well, that's a great question, and I indeed have featured a couple of the amazing curators. From the Henry Ford Museum, where Innovation Nation is taped in Dearborn, Michigan, um, uh, into the podcast. So, for instance, in my podcast episode on on, on Sammy Davis Jr., um, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. lost his eye when he was driving. Um, oh gosh, I, my brain! And in, in El Dorado, the Cadillac. Right, help me out here. A Cadillac. It was an El Dorado, right? Anyway, 1954, because it had a crazy steering wheel. It had, if you can believe this, like a conical, the hub of the steering wheel was like a missile, like the uh, the, the, uh, the nose cone of a missile. I mean, it was a design feature. It was insane. Like imagine driving and the hub of your steering wheel, the center of it, has a protrusion aimed right towards your face. And of course, no one wore seatbelts. I don't even know if the car even had one. Um, but anyway, the the curator of transportation, a very smart guy, Matt Anderson, um, was featured on the podcast talking about that. So yeah, like there are a lot of great innovators that are um, a lot of great dead innovators who have amazing stories that I'd love to tell. I like Igor Sikorsky, the guy who uh, created the uh, the helicopter. He's like a poor Russian kid. He reads Jules Verne, a novel that imagines a single rotor aircraft, he comes to America and spends 40 years trying to, to realize that, and it's the helicopter. Huh. Which he stole from Leonardo da Vinci, right? Oh, yeah, probably. Not too bad. <laughs> it was public domain yeah. by that point. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So, hey, folks, if you are out there and you want to ask Mo a question, all you have to do is hit the little phone button at the bottom of the app, and you can call in. And ask Mo anything you want to know about Mo. He's there's friendly. An, he does, an, he yeah, doesn't bite. A, that's true. There's an expiration Much. date on all my conjoined twins' information, so you better ask now while I still can remember. I wonder where we, you know, you must have come across in your research where we got the term joined at the hip, right? There must have been twins. Uh-huh. You know, that's a great question. I know that there were these conjoined twins and it's it's hard to even look there's no photographs of them but young women in france i think um during the renaissance and they're there you can find sketches of them and they're joined at the hips and it's it's actually hard to look at because you can't imagine what that must have been like at least chang and Ang had a little distance between them well, I had to use DuckDuckGo here, and I, I wanted to find from phrases.org.uk what's the meaning of joined at the hip, the origin. And uh, if you go to the webpage, you find this. The first people mentioned are Chang and Eng in here, but um, they weren't it, – it, some assume that it was joined at the hip, but they were joined at the sternum, as you said. And it appears instead that there was a um, a group of ladies, Daisy and Violet Hilton, yes. also in North Carolina, 
Uh, yes, British conjoined twins. They they toured U.S. vaudeville and freak shows in the 20s and 30s, and they were documented as actually being joined at the hip. And and apparently they ended at the end of their lives. They were working as checkout uh, cashiers in uh, in a in a supermarket in a grocery store in North Carolina. So North Carolina really is our our most important conjoined twin state. I mean, there's a lot, you know, uh, the, the, um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they were, and I think they were inspir- in inspiration for the musical side show, but uh, oh. yeah. yeah. They were literally two for the price of one. Ariel's back with us. You know what? I think she, I think she may have butt dialed. I think she butt dialed us too. That's, That's fantastic. Yeah. That makes for great podcast. Yeah, it does. Thanks for the butt dial. She is partying. She's really having a good time. Well, she actually <laughs> asked to join again, so we'll give her a second attempt here, see if her butt is still calling. Ariel, is this you or your butt? Ariel, is this you or your butt? Hello? <laughs> Hello? Is it your butt I'm looking for? Okay, but I think Leah is joining us. Leah, are you there? <laughs> Sure thing. I wanted to know, Mo, you bring me to a lot of joy and emotion, Mm. um, especially with Mobituaries um, and Mm. some of your other work. And so I'm wondering if you want to clue us in on your feeling of like uh, taking in a movie, you know, can you remember the last time that a movie might have really moved you or hearing a story? You know, what what was that? Um. Wow, I'm trying to think. You know, I haven't seen a lot of movies lately. Um, I want to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I um, when is the last time that a movie really well, it could be a podcast too, or a piece of work that you heard? I'm That's just good. curious. As he to he listened to the Bad you... Crypto podcast and he cried for weeks. <laughs> I wept. I wept. Um, I know I I, I, I want to give you the right answer because I'm trying things have moved me and I'm I'm trying to think exactly what it is that's well that's all right I mean I'm putting you on the spot of course and and you're you're the topic today so I can definitely tap in with the topic in mind right. um, I mean I listen to I like listening to I've been listening to Aaron. Aaron Copeland on Alexa, and I like the music of Aaron Copeland. That moves me. Hey, hey, Mo, this is Rich Casanova. Hey, Rich. I'm calling. Uh, it's Casanova. I don't know if you caught my last name or not yet. Yeah, no, Casanova. I always confuse <laughs> Casanova with Savannah Rolla. But yeah. yeah, I get that a lot. Uh, so we're live with the podcast movement, and uh, we're on actually uh, my, my initiative with our brand. We're actually on the worldpodcasttour.org. And we got to get you live. Where, 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 where are you going to be about this summer? Where I'm going to be out uh, this summer? Well, <laughs> around. <laughs> Can it be a little more specific? Yeah, well, we'll talk off here. But, um, but no, more importantly, uh, so podcasting. Talk to me about, uh, you know, why you're getting on board and where you see this is heading and what's unique about it. Well, I, look, I think there's there's a couple of things I, I, I love that I don't have to, like, get dressed up for it. I don't have to wear a tie. That's one thing I like. Um, I do like I know it's cliche, but I like how intimate it is. I like that you can tell a story and, uh, you know, outside the confines. It, for me, a sort of network news. I love doing CBS Sunday morning, but it's kind of nice to be able to tell a story. And then also be personal about it and actually give my opinions about it. And um, so there's that. Um, and, I, and, and I like getting people to open up. And I think it's easier to do that with a microphone um, in, a, in a just in a regular setting as opposed to with two cameramen and a bunch of lights um, in a studio. You know, I, I've always thought that a great podcast name would be Podcast Naked, right? Because yeah. no, nobody knows what you're wearing or not wearing. And, uh, you know, true confession, a lot of times behind the microphone, I'm not wearing much. I don't podcast naked, but there's times I'm not wearing much. And nobody has to know, although I just told everybody. 
I think that's great. I think it's and, and you know, um, yeah, I, 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 I will tr- I will try that, too. It's a little difficult because I do a lot of the interviews actually at CBS, and that's the kind of scandal the network doesn't need right now. Um, but um, um, yeah, I, I, but I like the idea of podcasting naked. I, I happen can, to. Can I just say this, Joe? That, that concerns me that you are podcasting naked, and I didn't know that all this time. That's really weirding me out. Well, I think it's important to note that you're wearing a chicken suit right now, and nobody but me knows it. So you know, Travis, do you feel betrayed knowing that Rich has been podcasting naked? Yeah, you know what? I think that it's a very you know what you know what let it, let us freak flag fly. That's cool. I'm I'm down with that. This is this is the 2010s. We're good. <laughs> Hey, um, I have a question. So you got, you have a book. You mentioned you mentioned it briefly. Mobituaries. Yeah. You have a book coming out, and the front cover is you in front of like a gravestone. So, what would maybe your epithet say on your on your uh, on your gravestone? What what would you want to be remembered by? No mo. Oh man. No. <laughs> I, oh man, that's most no mo. That's fantastic. Hey, I want to hit me with some more of the typical puns you get for your name. Well, I used to tell people, you know, you revealed my real name at the top of this interview, but I used to love to tell people when they say, Mo, what's what's your full name? And I'd say, well, my father in the late 60s when I was born was the ambassador to Mozambique. And it was always interesting because I people you know, most people are nice and they try to be polite. And so I could see people like thinking that's batshit crazy. And like, and if your real name is Mozambique Raka, um, but I always appreciated how polite they tried to be. And then I say, no, that's a lie that no, actually my mother was kind of a hippie when I was born, she was hitchhiking across the Mojave desert. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a convenient name for, um, for just lying. Well, there there are there's some famous Maurices in pop culture and in history, right? You've got well, Maurice yeah, Chevalier. Well, when I was little, and I used to say like, "Oh, I have a weird name. No one has my name." And then my father would say, "Well, there's Maurice Chevalier." And the right. thing is, I feel like Maurice Chevalier is no longer acceptable because he was most famous for singing a song called "Thank Heaven for Little Girls." <laughs> so I just. I feel like he's no longer – I can no longer use him as a crush. How about, how about Maurice from the Bee Gees? I know he went by Morris, but it was spelled the same. Yeah, right? that's I've, – I've done that. Absolutely. Wait a second. Are you the gangster of love? Because some people call you Maurice. It's the, it's the, I thought it was – I speak of the pompous of love. Oh, that's what you do. Gotcha. Yeah. Are you a midnight toker? Uh <laughs> Uh, I, I might be. I might be. You know, if you ever want to have fun, if if, if you want to, ever want to see something crazy on YouTube, watch um, two singers singing one toke over the line on the Lawrence Welk show. It's really okay. crazy. Yeah. Wow, there's there's an image there. Hey, the uh, the lines are open right here, and you know you're listening on Castbox on air with Joel Com and Travis Wright with our guest Mo Rocca. And if you want to speak to Mo and ask him anything that you know, all you got to do is go and push the call button. We'll see that you're calling in, and uh, we'll put you on air here to ask mm-hmm. that question. You know, before uh, before you came on, I came up with uh, uh, a tagline for Castbox. Um, that that people could rock the cast box, and it just dawned on me that you're here to rocka the cast box. Oh, I thought that that's what you all were going for this whole time when you said rock. Uh, oh, I guess what you, yeah. I mean, you meant it as rock the Casbah, but you're saying that with Raka, it's even yeah, it's Raka. So Maurice don't like it. Raka the cast box. <laughs> nice. That's good. I have a question for you, Mo, about, you know, so you're very cerebral, very smart dude. You can tell that through, you know, just your your commentary and then the questions you ask and the content that you create. What would be, you know, if you wanted somebody to like say, you know what, you need to read this book. This book will change your life or this piece of content will change your life. Aside from the one took over the line by the two people on the Lawrence Welk Show. What would you what would you recommend for people to say, you know what, you got to read this book? Ooh, um. I, look, maybe two I'm, books. It doesn't have to be just one. Whatever, yeah. whatever. You flow with it. Yeah, I would. You know, I one. It's been a long time since I read it, but I always loved. I love the biography of um, 
of Teddy Roosevelt, The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris. The first that was the first volume I think he did ended up doing three. It's just a book that I just I, I found really inspiring. Um, what is other stuff? I think um, I mean, I like musicals. I love Sunday in the Park with George and other other things that really have inspired me. Hello, um, hello? Oh, Samantha. How you doing? Hi. We've what you got, got Sam? Yeah, Mo, quick question here for you. So you've been in broadcasting for so long. What about these new uh, adopters of podcasting launching their show? What are some either do's and don'ts or tragic mistakes you made they might be able to learn from? I just want to say Sam's voice changed dramatically there. So who who are you, caller? (laughs) Well, we're doing naked podcasting here. So, you know, that happens. Yeah. Okay, we don't want to know who you are then, but Mo, go ahead and answer the question. Um, all right, mistakes. Well, I, I hope I haven't made too many mistakes. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing, the mistake that probably a lot of people do seem to make is that they just talk too much. And I don't know. I mean, I just think like a podcast is just a hang. It can be a little problematic. I think that, you know, I think it's all about balancing protein and carbs. So I try to like, I, I, I try, I really mean that actually. I, I think of that in like my TV pieces too, that, you know, the protein is sort of the information is a substantive part and the carbs are kind of the fun and you've got to have a good balance of the two. Do you think there's a saturation in podcasting? Well, I mean, I, we did a story for CBS Sunday morning on podcasts last year and the count was that there were 650,000. So there are a lot. I mean, I think there's maybe, yeah, there's maybe, a, but, there, but, you know, but there'll be one. But you put that relative to how many YouTube uh, uh, videos are coming online every second. Right? I know. I know. We really need to be, repro- this is why naked podcasting is important because it will encourage reproduction. We need <laughs> more, like, what are we going to do? We have so many TV shows and podcasts and not enough human beings to, to consume them. So I really think we just need to really start procreating more. For, for mm. just for to keep this thing going. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Naked Podcaster. Now uh, go get dressed. Uh, question came in through the text. Are you excited to come to the Henry Ford in September? And what days is that going to be? Can you? Uh, what is the Henry Ford and where is that? The Henry Ford is the museum in Dearborn, Michigan, where it's if you haven't been there, it's I don't know where you guys are based. It is an amazing – I grew up in D.C. with the Smithsonian. The Henry Ford is incredible. It was Henry Ford's sort of shrine to innovation that he built in 1929. It's got like the world's oldest steam engine. It has the house uh, – um, as excuse me, the Menlo Park Laboratory where Edison created uh, – invented the, the light bulb and the phonograph. They moved it from New Jersey brick by brick there. It has the bicycle shop where the Wright brothers worked and, and, and began developing the airplane. It has the car that Kennedy was driving in when he was shot and the chair that Lincoln was sitting in when he was shot. So they've got like some, you know, that's not really about innovation, but and uh, um, anyway, and yeah, and that's where we do this TV show, Innovation Nation. I don't know the exact dates, but we're going to be there again in September. All right, so you guys can head to Dearborn and check out the museum. Mr. Travis Wright, I bet you got a, a great question for Mr. Moraka. Do I? I, I want to know this. <laughs> do I? I don't know. Do I? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe so. I, I have a silly question. So do you, how many sets of Moraccas do you have? You know, it's a very good question. I used, I used to have more. I currently, I have two um, regular-sized sets of Moraccas. And then I have three very small sets of maracas. So I guess you'd say I have five sets of differing sizes. Very nice. I do want to comment about the the production quality on your podcast and in that mention of proteins versus carbs, because Joel and I are sort of on that same sort of mission. We like to we like to keep our podcast fun, right? And so yep. you know what you'll do is you, you talk a little bit and then you have like <clears throat> excuse me. Then you have like a little sound effects going in and then you like you go into like a little sub story with like a little interview and then you come back in. Like what h- how did you create that format? Because I don't know that I've heard any format quite like that. Well I mean ours just kind of evolved. We knew that it was I, I uh, we knew that I didn't that I didn't want to just talk 
for a half an hour. And I know that there's some really successful podcasts where it's all first person. And that's really great. I, that, that, I, that wouldn't feel right for me. And, uh, and so I wanted to make use of interviews, but then also have some commentary in there. I also kind of like, I like raggedy edges. I mean, I think I need to have more paper crinkling in my podcast. Like, I kind of like that. There's a podcast called In Our Time on the BBC. It's kind of great. It's a history podcast. And the guy clears his throat. You hear him, like, shuffling papers. And I like that. I don't like... I don't like <laughs> oh, excuse yeah, me. I, I don't like um, the crazy audio fetishists that need everything to be perfect. Crazy audio fetishists. Are you a CAF? Please call the crazy audio fetishist support hotline. We'll make noise. <laughs> we'll break them of their habit. Uh, Erica's got another. She's just full of great questions for you. She wants to know, how did you become such a kind person? Is it just your nature? And I'll, and I'll tag on to that. You know, was it your, were your parents, you know, just super awesome or teachers, friends, He's just a nice guy. I, I, I just, boy, I don't know what to say. I just, I, I'm just, you know, I, I am the nicest person on the planet. And, and humble. Even, and do humble. not even challenge me on this. Uh, <laughs> I, I have nice parents. I, have, I guess that's part of it. And, uh, yeah. And I'm 50. 50 is a nice decade now. Yeah, 50 is nifty. So uh, let me ask you this. Who uh, in the entertainment industry do you really admire? Not just moderately admire. Who do you really look up to? Boy, great question. Oh, let me think. I'm going to sound really terrible if I don't have anyone. Well, you don't have to. I mean, people ask me, uh, you know, sometimes who my, uh, you know, my mentors are, and I can only name one. From my name whole Travis. Life. You say Travis. Yeah. Right? <laughs> who, who is your mentor? Uh, Zig Ziglar is the the person I consider, you know, the influential mentor in my life. And, you know, of course, he's passed for a number of years, but as a young man reading his uh, his books and attending his conferences probably had more influence on me than you know, anybody, any, any other person. And uh, I, I really don't have mentors now. I've just tried to surround myself with cool people doing uh, good things and, and, you know, enjoying life. And I think all of those people influence and mentor me to some degree, but Zig was the main one. Yeah. I think that I, I look, I think there are two people professionally that, uh, that really kind of influenced me the most. The first, my first TV job was writing and producing for the TV show Wishbone on PBS. About My kids used to watch that. Oh yeah. The dog. Great. Yes. Yeah. It was a great experience. And a friend of mine, um, she's, she's a friend of mine. She's also happens to be the older sister of another friend of mine, but she was about six years older than me. A woman named Stephanie Simpson was really kind of the creative force behind that show. And I'd never written for TV and it wasn't easy. And she was patient and, but she also was, she pushed me in the right way. And, uh, and, and it's a toolbox I go back to all the time because the whole, the, the thrust of the show was that it was um, the stories from classic literature novels seen through the eyes of this Jack Russell Terrier. And that was like storytelling boot camp to learn how to take, you know, a novel like Don Quixote and break it down into 30 minutes for kids. I mean, it sounds wacky and it was wacky, but it was, it, I learned a lot. And then my other mentor is my boss at CBS Sunday morning. We have very similar sensibilities and, and it's kind of a dream job because, you know, more times than not, the things I'm interested in, he's interested in. And then he says, great, go do a story on it. And it's, it's, I, I realize how, how fortunate I am. That's great. My my mentor is uh, Napoleon's penis. So well, wondering. that's a very that is a great. No, that is <laughs> that's, that's your north star. That's your real say Napoleon dynamite. Oh, yeah. it's really, oh gosh, it's really pointed you in the right direction. Oh my god, it's very thick. Very thick. Oh um, no. <laughs> so so Chris Kilgore has a question. He wants to know. Can you tell us how participating with Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me has impacted your career? Well, I'll tell you. It's like it's kind of like open mic night, but 
without the stench of stale beer and and with somebody and with somebody taking your jokes that don't land and editing them out for you. So it's sort of a dream. Like Peter Sagal is a host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. He's awesome. He's hilarious and a great guy and a good friend. Um, and he makes it it's the only job I've ever had that's both fun and easy. I find that fun stuff requires work. Like if it's not, if, if you're not really dedicating yourself to it, it's just, it's lame. It's not fun. Wait, wait, don't tell me is, is different in that somebody else, Peter and the producers are doing all the work. We just kind of get airdropped in. We just make whatever jokes come to mind and then the editors do the rest for us. So that's really great. But I think what it did for me, honestly, is it made me okay with sounding like myself. I've been on The Daily Show, which was an amazing experience before that with Jon Stewart, who is, you know, an extraordinary guy and like talent. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. and but with but I was very much like we were mock news reporters. And so everything I did was very sort of arch and ironic. And then when I started doing Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, I found that like doing a persona didn't really work and that it was only going to work if I was just kind of myself and made the jokes that occurred to me at the moment. And that's not easy to do. Like mm. I think everybody hates the sound of their own voice at one time or another, but I, I learned to be okay with it and to really loosen up. And I think that was really, really important. Mm. You know, I just, you, you mentioned a couple things here that uh, we, we have some commonalities and that once upon a time, probably about 10 years ago, an app, that I created was was mentioned on wait wait don't tell me you're kidding what was it it was the iFart app oh awesome yeah so that we made a bit of a stink with that and and, and I've got and what was what how did the app work uh, it still does work you can go into uh, the iOS app store or the Android app store and get iFart and you pick your fart sound push the button and then you laugh laughing uh -huh. is okay. so is a, is a must it doesn't. Well, it doesn't take your own fart and, and transform it into something. Well, you can actually record your own and play it for friends and family and, and on, uh, you know, the radio and all. The other thing is uh, I was in a segment on The Daily Show um, back because of the same reason. There was a uh, some litigation around fart apps. And oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Joel's a fart smeller. Really good. <laughs> <laughs> a question <laughs> came in from uh, Tenaciously Sadie May. Mo, what do you feel was your biggest hurdle in making your podcast successful? And a follow-up, do you ever feel like you had come to a plateau finding it difficult to gain momentum? Well, I mean, um, so I think that the, the biggest hurdle was feeling overwhelmed by the sheer amount. Once, once we realized how much work went into it to making it good, it's very daunting. That that part was very daunting. And so, you know, it's just one step at a time. I know that's a real cliche, but it's easy to get overwhelmed and say, oh, my gosh, there are hours of material here. And, and we know it's going to be good if it's 35 minutes as opposed to three hours. And uh, um, and uh, hitting a plateau, the, the first season was very successful. We were very happy with it. And now the second, it does feel like there's you know, we have a little wind at our back, but it's, you know, it's, it's like anything. It's starting all over again, right? You just have to get back and do it again and hope that people find Billy Carter and Tom Paine and, you know, and our other topics as interesting this time as they found, you know, the first season stuff. You need uh, the iFart app. That'll give you more wind, in, you know, yeah. your back. Well, what is that? It would, <laughs> that, but that wind, I guess so, yes, because, because, Yes, that would move you forward if the fart were strong enough. Indeed. Yeah. And well, then he also followed it up with an update pack called Second Wind, which was good. <laughs> oh, right. That. That's true. He did. Hey, I have a question. You mentioned that when you were on The Daily Show, you know, you, you had this persona as kind of like a fake reporter. So, like, what's the difference between a fake reporter on The Daily Show and a, a, a real reporter today? Great question. <laughs> Well, I, think most, I think most real reporters would rather be like a fake reporter because it's a lot more fun. Um, mm -hmm. Listen, you know, it, it, it is, it's actually, it, you know, it, it, the, the, the differences are less than you would think. I mean, I'll tell you this, like being a fake reporter on the daily show was good preparation for being a real reporter on CBS Sunday morning in that any time 
I find myself like doing that unctuous nodding thing, like that fake sympathetic nod. If I start to slip into that in a real news report, I punch myself in the face. So like in a way it was like I was, ino- <laughs> I was inoculated against that. So it's, it's like, like I know, I know what not to become because I used to make fun of it all the time. So it was in a way that was good. But, but the other thing is, um, they're similar in that, like, I don't know, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's all about just telling a good story. It doesn't matter whether Uh it's comedic, whether it's sad, whether it's satirical, it's all about how do you tell a segment, a story, whether it's three minutes or 11 minutes or much longer that makes people want to keep watching it. Mm, That is a great place to, uh, to close out Uh, Mr. Mo Rocco. Where is uh, your favorite place for people to get in touch with you? If they want to write and continue this dialogue, um, tweet me, don't at me, don't at me. Is that what everyone says now? No, tweet me at, at like the, the thingy. What is that? The little circle-y thing and then Morocco. It, it's an at sign. Yeah. It's the at sign, at Morocco. Yeah, <laughs> Fantastic. The podcast, Mobituaries. Mo, thanks so much for, for joining us today. This has been great fun. Thank awesome. you. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Cheers, friend. Hey, you guys, go and check out Mo's podcast, The Mobituaries. Mr. Travis Wright, that was great fun. That was great fun. Mo is not only intelligent, but also hilarious and insightful and quick-witted. Very quick-witted, which is great. He did rock uh, the cast box. Mm-hmm. Um, he, was, he was made for it. And uh, you've been listening to Cast Box On Air with Joel Com and Travis Wright. We're the co-hosts of The Bad Crypto Podcast. Check out the show, the, the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious that those that want to understand the future of Bitcoin, blockchain, and digital money at badcryptopodcast.com. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to create your own on air here on Castbox. Guess what? You don't have to, you know, do anything other than download the app and launch it and, you know, do a show, right? So it's really easy, very user friendly. And uh, very fun. You know, you can, you can invite your friends on and have a little chat and meet new friends. It's easy. It's peasy. It's all the lemons that are squeezy. And, of course, watch for future not cheesy. episodes. Not cheesy. It's, it's kind of cheesy. Coming yeah. up on August 27th, the one and only Mr. Pat Flynn of the mm. Smart Passive Income Podcast. I'm popping my peas because I'm excited about that. And on September 24th, Lewis Howes, the school of greatness and there will be much awesome greatness uh, when we do that love it great stuff thanks for listening everybody we appreciate it don't forget to try out live cast yourself in the cast box app on behalf of cast box on air i'm joel com i'm travis Wright. go live go live go do it except don't do it now because we're signing off see ya Ooh.